Sometimes it even alerts us if there might be a speed trap ahead. Not that any of you need that, I'm sure. But it does, does all of those things and generally gets us from point A to point B. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, my brother came for a visit. He was actually staying uh, for a conference in Wake Forest, a place, an area of the Triangle I really know very little about and haven't yet arranged. So I put in the in, uh, address in the GPS. Uh, the hotel that he was staying at, we had a pool, the kids were with me, they had their mermaid tails ready to go swim in the pool. Um, if you need to learn to swim like a mermaid, Riley. Um, but so we're headed over there, and the GPS, like, all of a sudden, like, will tell me to turn on a road that I've just passed. And um, it continued to do that. And I, I really wasn't driving that fast that I was, like, passing the turn. Right? It just like it was kind of deciding, hey, maybe we should go this way. And I thought, well, maybe there's an accident. Maybe it knows something that I don't. And so um, I started following along. And I end up driving in circles around this hotel. And it was just not going to get me there. So I finally pulled over, stopped, and went the old fashioned way, looked at the map on my phone and determined of my own um, making the route that I needed to get there and then landed safely at this hotel. But technology, right? Like, it's amazing until it's not. Um, the things that work until they don't. What are the other things maybe in life at a, at a deeper heart level that you use to orient um, your day or, or your goals, the things that you're trying to accomplish? Sometimes that can be social media, right? The ways and things that we see that, that influence us, right? And marketers know that it influences us because they are selling us things um, there. Sometimes it's mass media, right? And just the following of a 24-7 news cycle. Sometimes it's a comparison to other people and trying to orient based on our relationships with other people. There are so many tools, whether meditation, whether uh, scripture, whether other books, there are so many tools that we use that um, can orient and guide our days and our lives. But many of them come up as shortfalls. Not that they are bad or wrong inherently, but when we give them too much of a space in our lives, that can, that can take us off course or it might leave us driving in circles if we are not connected to the, the right thing that might orient or lead our lives. 
So today, as Joel mentioned, we are going to be starting this summer series, which is called Praying the Psalms. And so using the Psalms as this orientation device for us that has been through the ages, um, something that the church has, has used as the tool to orient uh, our lives. One of the things that I'm really excited about this in this series, as Joel mentioned, there are resources on the Sunday page. So these are things that are speaking into my life and have been orienting my life as I've been preparing for this series. And so N.T. Wright, um, one of the foremost New Testament scholars, um, is, uh, has an amazing lecture on this very topic. And it is something that caught my attention um, a while ago and just started rooting me deeper into the Psalms. So that lecture is there if you want to go really deep. If you're not like ready to go to the 12 foot into the pool, you want to like hang out in the like five to six foot. Um, there, there are many resources there from the Bible Project, which are fantastic. Y'all, five minutes of your life and you will understand the Psalms at a deeper place than I have for the last 35 plus years of my life. Um, so the Bible Project, there are two links shared with you there. Uh, and then there's a book uh, by this Benedictine monk named Thomas Merton. And he, too, has written very much on praying the Psalms as a guide and the place of the Psalms within the church uh, over the years, but also in our day-to-day lives. As a monk, praying these Psalms, literally going through each of them over the course of the week, um, going through every single Psalm, praying them. And so the place that he has found and the the way that the Psalms are able to speak into his life um, through it. So there, there's a link to that as well. But beyond those resources, what I am excited to share with you today, not just for this series, but over the course of the coming uh, year, we have a Love Chapel Hill teaching team that is going to join me in the Sunday morning teaching responsibilities. And so um, I want to share those names with you who are going to be leading us um, over the course of this year. Not all of them are here, so I'm not going to have them stand because that might be embarrassing for those who are not here. But um, so Valerie Burgard, uh, Chris Clark, we can cheer for all of them as we go. Chris Clark, uh, Caleb Maxson, Allison Otwell, <laughs> Elena Parrish, Joel Philbrook, and Sam Schmidt. Yeah, and um, then I bring up the tail end of that alphabetical list. Um, so the, if you, in case you weren't counting, there are eight of us. Y'all, we are um, a church community that is blessed with eight amazing teachers and more. There are some of you who also have teaching gifts that we want to pour into those as well. But y'all, for our church to have this kind of powerhouse team to be able to share week in and week out from the scripture with a heart for Jesus, um, I am thrilled you know, to get to um, walk this road with that team. So um, more to come. It'll be a rotation. You may not even necessarily know who's preaching what what Sunday. Um, So it'll be a rotation of us over the course of the next year, and that'll get started here um, in just two weeks. So as we are all navigating, right, this, this life, where we are looking for the narrow way of Jesus, to follow the narrow way. I want to share with you these two tools today, prayer and the Psalms. So praying the Psalms, it is bringing together these two tools. So first, what is prayer? Prayer, it's like kind of a big question, but I'm going to bring it to a simple place for us, right? 
in its basic form, it is two-way communication with God, our Creator. Two-way. Hang with me, okay? Two-way communication. So often we come to this place of prayer this in our minds that there, there is something that we are, are bringing to God or request of God. And so that has been so much of my prayer life over the years that I, I feel like I'm always asking for something. Um, one of the acronyms that I learned early on in my life is just ACTS, right? The, like the book of ACTS, that that helps guide our prayer time, the adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, the big word for asking uh, for what we need. But the other part of prayer that we often miss is listening. Listening. So how often do we find ourselves pausing to actually just ask of something, but then, but then receive and to listen to what the Lord has to say? Um, do you have that friend or maybe relative who thinks that communication is maybe more of a one-way street? That there's, there's a lot of talking and maybe even asking your opinion, but not giving you a chance to get a word in edgewise? I may have one or two of those um, in my life. And um, it reminds me, in those experiences, sometimes what God must feel like, right? That we are just talking, 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 and we don't give Him the chance to speak in to our lives. So that two-way communication requires certainly of our, our requests, our praise, our adoration, but it is also in part listening. Paul encourages us in his letters to pray continually, pray without ceasing even. I have longed for that place in my life. What must that be like? to actually have an ongoing prayer life that is unceasing. Y'all, I cease to pray sometimes. I don't know about you. I haven't figured it out yet, but there is a way. And I think that the Psalms give us a framework for praying without ceasing, continually praying. So what are the Psalms? The Psalms are this prayer book this prayer book of the people of God through the ages. It is sometimes called a hymn book because they are often sung prayers. It's a collection of 150 pieces of poetry, prayers written as poems that they, they capture for us the whole sweep of the story of God from the start of creation all the way to the redemption and renewal of all things. But they're written by particular people in specific places, in specific times. And so as we dive deeper, those, those elements of the time that they're written and who they're written by can even further influence the prayer for us. So this is the Word of God, right? The poems are located in the very center of a Bible. If you have a paper Bible, one of the quickest ways to get to Psalms is just pick it up, eyeball it in the middle, and open the book, and there you will find Psalms. But if you are doing it on a digital version as well, we encourage that. So um, the YouVersion app is a great way to dive, dive in if you don't um, have a Bible or, or need it more accessible. 
the Psalms are made up of five, five different books. So that 150 pieces of poetry coming together are broken down really into five major books. And they are put together um, from authors over the course of five centuries. Y'all, so they were not written in one place, right? Or even in one century to capture a part of the people of God's story. But they are written over five centuries, maybe even more. Those multiple authors that speak through this word of God, it is the, the words of God's people that then for us have become the word of God, Holy Spirit inspired to speak to us still today. There are many different types of psalms in the mix of that, those five books and the, the 150 collection, right? There are many different types of psalms. There are psalms of lament, and psalms of praise, psalms of confession and reflection, psalms of contemplation. One of the things that makes them so relatable for us is that they capture really the fullness, the fullness <clears throat> of human emotion and experience. As we read through them, they capture for us joy and sorrow. They capture delight and pain and rejection, hope and fear, death and life the fullness of human emotion and experience unfolded for us. Thomas Merton says there is no aspect of the interior life, no kind of religious experience, no spiritual need of humanity that is not depicted and lived out in the Psalms. They're most relatable, I think, because they are true. They are true to the heart of God's people. They're true to God's character, to the human experience. N.T. Wright reminds us that the most quoted book in all of scripture by Jesus is the Psalms. N.T. Wright says, if it is good enough for Jesus, then it's good enough for him. Now, I tend to fall in line, and if it's good enough for Jesus and N.T. Wright, then I'm definitely in line with that. So, um, they're often familiar, right? Even outside of the church. Think of, think of a psalm. When you think of the psalms, is there one that comes to mind? 23. That's right. 23. If you've never stepped foot in a church, but you've been to a funeral, you might have heard, right? Psalm 23. And so it is something that becomes familiar. For us, taste and see that the Lord is good. It is something that we say often as we come to this table each week, that is from the Psalms. Be still and know that I am God. Right? Words of the Psalms that guide us. Uh, there on the Sunday page, if you are on lovechapelhill.com slash Sunday, uh, there's also an image that might help you just to think of these five books. You might have to zoom in a little bit. Um, I think it got compressed when we uploaded it, but... If you zoom in, you can see the breakdown of uh, the books, the five books. The first two really capturing um, much of the story of David and the complicated history 
and the life of his becoming king and his kingship, his failures and his faults in all of it captured for us in, in the first two books. This, the third book is really about the exile of the people of Israel. So in Israel's history, you know that they, they came into the promised land, but as they turn their hearts away from God, they are actually taken captive by the Babylonian Empire. And so they become exiles in a foreign land. And so book three captures that exile. In books four and five capture for us a hope and a looking ahead to the restoration of that promised land. But not just the earthly promised land, though that is a part of it, right? And they, they actually do get to come back. And some of the, the Psalms are about that returning and seeing the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt, the temple rebuilt after that period of exile. But then it goes on beyond that to the greater restoration, the redemption of all of creation. And so it gives us hope. There's this flow throughout the Psalms where in the beginning, really the early part of the book, it starts with a lot of lament, with a little bit of praise and a little bit of hope. And as you shift toward the end of the book, those flip. And there is a greater sense of praise and a greater sense of hope with still yet some lament mixed in because we are not yet there, right? We are in this space of the already and not yet. So what does it mean then to combine these two, to pray the Psalms, right? It's when we give them this place in our lives that they become the GPS, right? That they become the thing that we scroll through when we have a minute. We, they are the thing that orients our lives. It is turning our lives to focus on our Creator. It means that we have to slow down. The book of Psalms was written in a way that it is not intended for us to just even pick and choose ones that we might, might read, but it is, is meant to read the fullness of it and to do that slowly and to let it marinate us, right? To saturate ourselves in the Psalms. So it means that we slow down and we read them not just one time, but they are meant to be read over and over again because they are, they are the prayers, they are the songs for the journey of our lives. We meditate on them and reflect on them. It's letting the word of God then become the words of the people of God. Oftentimes they give us words where we have no words, right? If this is capturing the fullness of the human experience, even lately, right? Especially lately, there are times when we have no words for what is going on in the world around us. But the Psalms in that place give us words of lament, the cries of our heart. And in praying them, in turning to the Psalms, they are in alignment of our hearts with the heart of God. And so the goal of praying the Psalms really is to find ourselves in them. That we find ourselves in the Psalms. Again, Thomas Merton says, we recognize the Psalms as our own 
experience, lived out, perfected, oriented to God, and made fruitful by the action of loving faith, ultimately by uniting our joys with the joys of Christ and the Psalms, our sorrows, with the sorrows of Christ, and thus allowing ourselves to be carried to heaven on the tide of his victory. The Psalms are the well that won't run dry. Jesus invites us to that well. Come drink from this and you will never thirst again. The Psalms are the well that won't run dry. There are all different types of prayers. And I know I said you can't pick them out and just like read them by themselves, right? But I'm going to do that for a minute. Um, And we can. We can visit with them, right? In different times and different places. And some will speak to us on one day where another won't, right? And what doesn't speak to us today may speak to us tomorrow or next week. And so that is part of the practice that we continue to walk through them. Right, psalms and prayers of adoration, like Psalm 100. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. There are prayers and psalms just of simple thanksgiving over and over again, especially as we get toward the latter part of the book. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. The number of times in Psalm 118 where it says, Give thanks to the Lord. It's over and over and over. Then there are psalms of confession and repentance. And we think especially of David as he recognizes his failures. Sometimes we can struggle, I know I do, even to recognize our own failures. But this gives us language and words for it as we see David come crying to God in confession and repentance in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. There are psalms we find in anger with the forces of evil and injustice around us. David even calling out, Do you rulers indeed speak justly? Do you judge people with equity? No. In your hearts you devise injustice, and your hands dole out violence on the earth. Right, the real talk of David seeing the injustice around him and calling it out, wrestling even with God. Psalms, when we find ourselves under attack, right, when the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. There are cries of desperation in those places, even to the point of death. Right? To be in such a place of desperation where we cry out, Save me, O God. Save me 
for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. Have you felt lately like you have no foothold? I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out even from calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Those places of searching and seeking and desperation. The Psalms give us words for all of those. We are not treading on ground that others have not tread before. The fullness of the human experience. Augustine said, God has taught us to praise him. In the Psalms, not in order that he may get something out of this praise, but in order that we may be made better by it. Praising God in the words of the Psalms, we can come to know him better. Knowing him better, we love him better. And loving him better, we find our happiness in him. Hmm. Our goal in praying right, is to be in alignment with the heart of God. That his words, his will become ours. So Thomas Merton says, nowhere can we be more certain. Nowhere can we be more certain that we are praying with the Holy Spirit than when we are praying the Psalms. And so they are speaking to us in the here and now. The Psalms speak to us today. Today is Juneteenth. Right? When we remember and we celebrate that the news and the enforcement of the emancipation finally reached Texas. Two and a half years after the proclamation was signed. It's eye-opening to remember that just because the proclamation was made, it was not a reality. And certainly we mark the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation as a success but there was still work to do because really it didn't take effect until the Union Army was able to control an area. And so the final front of Texas getting to that place for two and a half centuries of chattel slavery to come to a close. We mark this day of freedom, this celebration of the progress and the holding hope that true freedom is possible and will someday come. But the effects of it all are deeply rooted and still impacting the world around us. So we celebrate that day of freedom that came June 19th, 1865, recognizing that there is still work for us to do in this place to make that freedom a reality. The Psalms speak into that very thing. One of the resources that you'll find there on the page is actually research and, and an article written um, by someone who is a professor actually now, I believe at Wheaton College, 
Her research was in the parallels of the African-American spirituals and the Psalms. There's a link there. If you want to get super academic and get into it, please do. It is amazing. But she parallels for us and shows, draws out the ways that the cries of the heart in those spirituals that were sung in the fields, that were sung in factories, in homes, they capture the cries of the heart of desperation and pain and suffering. So much so that the reality of death itself was not even worse than the circumstance many enslaved people found themselves in. So the Psalms, the Psalms functioned even for those African Americans as therapeutic, cathartic salves to their broken bodies and their spirits the spirits of the southern slaves. They provided hope that their lives were ultimately ruled not by their human masters, but by the Lord who would rescue them from their bondage and pain. The hope and transformative power of the Psalms providing a means of voicing and working through their suffering, thereby restoring their inner health. To be such a force, the Psalms influencing their spirituals, using the common imagery of rock and redeemer, of deliverance, even the imagery of shepherds and valleys. Frederick Douglass claimed that witnessing the enslaved communities sing the spirituals was actually one of the most powerful arguments for the abolition of slavery. He said, I have often thought that the mere hearing of those songs would do more to impress some minds with the horrible character of slavery than the reading of whole volumes of philosophy on the subject. Right, the power of the day in and day out. Right? They weren't given books to carry with them to the fields. But the things internalized, the spiritual songs, influenced by the Psalms over and over again in the most horrific of circumstances, gave hope and brought joy in fleeting moments. But then we recognize, right, just as, just as the enslaved people after after Juneteenth, there's a reality, right, that it wasn't over, that there was still more work to be done. And that parallel to the people of Israel, the people of Israel who were in exile, related to their ancestors who went before them who were slaves in Egypt. Over 400 years, right? the people enslaved, the people of Israel enslaved in Egypt. And so you can see that you don't, it doesn't take a big leap to get from chattel slavery in America to relate to the Psalms speaking to the people in exile. These books of poetry compiled in that time 
of their exile in Babylon. Today is also Father's Day. Shout out to all of my fellow dads in the place in this beautiful, beautiful arboretum. Happy Father's Day to you. We celebrate you. And we celebrate all of you who had fathers that you can look to, who pointed to our Heavenly Father, who were examples of His goodness and His grace and His love and His mercy. But in that same moment, we have to recognize that that is not the experience for all of us. We acknowledge the difficulty of this day. Whether you have lost your father that he has passed on, whether it's a broken relationship, a place of hurt and a damaging past. Maybe you find yourself longing for someone who may have been that father figure for you. It is a day of mixed emotions, and here we can hold that tension, this place of celebrating, right, and also recognizing the broken places in our lives and walking together in that. The Psalms have something to say about that too. Over and over again, the Psalms remind us that God will help the fatherless. He will defend the fatherness, the fatherless. In Psalm 10, multiple times, God is in that place of defense for those who are without a father. And in Psalm 68, that next step, next level, not only will he defend them, but he will become the father to the fatherless. The character of who God is revealed in his role as a father. And so the Psalms illustrate that for us. If you are looking for that example of a good and loving father, Let's turn to the Psalms together. So each week through this series, we're going to pick up a Psalm and pray it together. And so not just today, but in the week ahead. So on the Monday after, we'll email out the Psalm for that week with the intent that every day of the week we might read that together, that this will become our prayer for the week, our prayer for our church, prayer for ourselves, that the Lord will shape us and orient us by continuing to come back to it. Today you're in luck. It's the shortest psalm, Psalm 117. Not only is it the shortest psalm, but it is the shortest chapter in the entirety of Scripture. It's just two verses. And so that gives us the opportunity even to internalize that maybe in a, in a more rapid way. Memorizing the Psalms, not asking you to go memorize all of them, but if there is one that speaks to you, I want to encourage you to pick that up and let that be a practice. Because when we enter into praying the Psalms, we are grabbing hold of the Word of God that it, they might become our words. This is a place where we kind of break the time-space continuum. It doesn't just happen in a black hole, y'all. It happens here in the Psalms also. We can break the time-space continuum by reading a psalm and reaching as far back into history to the point of creation and moving forward. We, we connect to that place in the past 
here in the present, but it also gives us a future look, right? And so we, we are able to enter into this intersection of God's space and time. So Psalm 117, it's there on the Sunday page. You can read it along with me if you'd like. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. So it's the shortest, but it is profound in its economy of words. This is speaking into the Babylonian exile, right? I don't know about you, but if I am exiled from something, I don't really feel super uh, connected and grateful for it. But in this, to see and even recognize their own failings that drove them into exile and that they are not alone, right? That the Lord is with them. There's so much power in this one word. There's the word all. All nations. When we think of Israel's past and even think of the, the nation of Israel that God chose to bless, we can, we can often think that it's isolated to that group of people or that it's just for a specific set of people. But this opening line for the people of Israel and for us today is a reminder of God's covenant with Abraham. When God told Abraham that he was going to be the father of this chosen nation, it wasn't just for the benefit of that nation. He said that I am going to work through you and you will be fruitful and multiply that it may be a blessing to all of the nations. So this all is an all-inclusive y'all. <laughs> We're in the South, right? It's, y'all is such a helpful word. All you nations, all you peoples, great is his love toward us. As we are praying this today, do you need to hear that someone loves you? And not just someone, but the creator of the cosmos loved you so much that he would give himself, that he would enter into time and space. Great is his love toward us. Maybe you know someone who is experiencing isolation. Maybe they're feeling abandoned. Maybe in a place of desperation, this prayer This prayer is an orienting prayer for us. And the reminder that it goes on and on. It doesn't just love us in this moment, but he is faithful and he is trustworthy. And that continues on forever. And in his trustworthiness and his faithfulness, in coming to live among us and to give his life for us, we come to this table, this table of communion where we're not just gathering with each other in this space, though we are, we are gathering 
in a beautiful way in this time, in this space, but we gather together with all the nations right through the ages that this is an open invitation to God's table because it is not ours. We don't get to control who comes to this place. It is his. And remember that he, on that last night, with his disciples gathered there in the upper room, he took the loaf and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood poured out for you. The blood of the new covenant. For the forgiveness of all your sins. And it is an invitation to each one of us today to come to this place to taste and see that the Lord is good. As we come to the table today, we'll come across this side and our servers will tear off a piece of the bread and hand it to you. You can dip it in the cup. If you need a gluten-free option, we do have that as well. We invite you to come.